It's time for security now. Steve Gibson is here. Oh, get ready for this. We got a Q&A episode. We're going to talk about security. We're going to talk about DDoS attacks. We're going to talk about Telnet exploits. But we're also going to talk about coffee and Bitcoin and science fiction. Stay tuned. Security now is next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 397, recorded March 27, 2013. Your questions, Steve's answers, number 164. Security Now is brought to you by Rackspace, the open cloud company. At Rackspace, build what you want, where you want, how you want, all backed by their world-renowned fanatical support. Try it today. Download the open cloud at rackspace.com slash open. It's time for Security Now, the show that's designed, carefully cultivated, and in fact proven, four out of five doctors recommended for protecting you online, your privacy, your security. And we thank this guy right here, the explainer-in-chief, Steve Gibson, for making it possible for six-plus years now. Hi, Steve. Happy birthday. Hey, hey Leo. Thank you. Yesterday was uh, the big day for me, 58. When you and, started uh, this show, you were just a young man of 52. that's right actually i feel better today than i did then i don't really know why but i know why and you know why you just don't want to say it yeah because of your regimen your vitamin d and your before i turned 50 i started i decided i was going to get serious about looking into um nutrition and supplements and physical condition and it's like okay i have the time now i'm gonna do it and i'm never gonna die now steve never i've learned a lot yeah. He's going to live forever. So a bunch of nice stuff this week. We've got a Q&A episode, our 164th Q&A. Um, at the top of the news, we've got both good news and bad news <laughs> regarding Apple and authentication. Oh, what a mess that was. Oh, my goodness. Well, the the, the bad news is... A, a really great case study for us and our listeners because it was such a mess. Um, so it was a cross-site Apple, forgery exploit, as I understand it. No, not at all. Actually, no. Um, it was just a mistake. Um, so <laughs> here, 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 it had nothing to do with cross-site anything. Okay. Um, what it was just a very simple web app programming mistake okay so this involved uh i forgot my password problem so this was so-called password recovery at apple and until this came to light and to apple's credit they shut it down quickly that is within a day it was fixed but it was so easy to fix because it was so it was such a glaring obvious mistake so i mean this is you know what not to do you know, 101 um, on internet security. 
you go to iforgot.apple.com and they had you went through a series of steps um you you know you give them your email address for your registered account and then you, you they want your date of birth so you put that in then you answer two security questions which you have previously provided obviously the answers to before then you enter the new password you want to use for your account well, the mistake they made, first of all, let's back up a little bit and rem- remember how how we've sort of um, uh, forced the, the web, which was originally designed to deliver content, how we forced it to accept content in order that is to say like the answers to these questions the the email address the password and so forth the internet never was designed for this really it was designed as a read only medium with links hyperlinks oh what a concept that you click on that takes you to other read only pages that may have them or their own hyperlinks that you click on and they take you to others so that was the original concept and then someone said, uh, what if we want to like log in to like, you know, we want to, we want to, we want like to protect some of these pages. So just not everybody can click on the links and get to them. And, and then the gurus of old said, hmm, uh, really? We hadn't really planned for that. And, and the people said, yeah, but wouldn't that be cool? So they said, okay, how, well, how about this? We'll take that regular URL, you know, that's the HTTP colon slash slash with a domain name and then the whatever it is afterwards, the, the tail uh, that specifies the page. And then we'll put a question mark on the end. And then anything after the question mark, the, the server will ignore. That is, that's the question mark ends the address of the page and starts stuff the user provides, whatever they want. And then we'll enhance the HTML definition with forms. We'll have boxes you can fill in, buttons you can press, that kind of stuff. And the form will stick its data after the question mark. So the server will give will 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 not care what's after the question mark and then an application which we've added to the server will look at the stuff after the question mark as the data from the user so this kludge which is <laughs> the only thing you could call it is what happened and then they said well but you know what if you wanted to like fill out like or like, like wanted to submit a letter to somebody you can't put a whole letter after a question mark on the URL, that just goes on forever and there's got to be a limit. So they said, oh, yeah, okay, that's a good point. So um, then they created another verb. Normal verb was get, saying I want to get a page. They created a new, a new verb called post. And the end, there, there the idea was you would, you would, after you were through specifying the page you wanted this to go to, you would use the verb post and then you could just sort of append as much stuff as you wanted to 
at the end of your query rather than like off the end of the address. And so that's what we have today. In this day and age, that's what we've got. So both approaches are used. Apple was using only the original one, the get-based approach, where everything that the user submits is after the question mark in the URL. Now, that's not a problem per se, because either are, you know, are part of the query that you send to the server, even though you, it's not really a query anymore, it's more of a, here you go, submit. Um, but the mistake Apple made, which is so rudimentary, is that anyone, anyone, this is, doesn't take a genius. This is not one of these incredibly complicated, okay, how did they figure this out things. Anyone looking at the traffic to and from the, the user and Apple would notice that that final submission of the new password didn't really need all of the previous stuff that is you could you could go to iforgot.apple.com pretending to be somebody else all you had to know was the email address they use which you could probably guess because it's probably their email address and their date of birth which of course is public record often um you know, I'm a little uncomfortable that my Wikipedia page has it listed. If it didn't, if it wasn't already public, I wouldn't have mentioned that yesterday was my birthday because, you know, I would rather that kind of stuff not be readily available, you know, because it can be used exactly like this for exploits. With only those two pieces of information, because they did everything through these simple get queries you're able to skip, entirely skip, the requirement for the two security questions. You don't even need those. You, you're able to synthesize the final submission of your new password without needing that because, because an analysis of the the. the, the, the the back and forth transactions to to iforgot.apple.com made it clear to anyone, even just looking at the HTML, looking at the, you know like like the view page source option in your browser, you can see how it's assembling the data that it's going to send back. And so, armed with only a person's email address and their date of birth, it, until this was fixed which was, as I said, immediately after it was publicly revealed, it was possible to change anyone's Apple password to anything you wanted and in that, in that process take over their account. So that was Apple's um, revealed, publicly revealed screw-up of the week. That's the authentication bad news. Coincidentally, they also gave the world authentication good news and we are really hoping that the guy who implemented the good news had nothing to do with implementing the bad news 
because we want them to have done this right. They are Apple has now joined the the growing group of major sites like Facebook, Google, Microsoft um, to offer two-factor or at least two-step authentication. Some some purists have said, well, it's really not two-factor because you may be trying to use the same device you're trying to log in is the device you're authenticating with. It's like, okay. So it's it's two-step, but it certainly does dramatically raise the bar on, on, for example, preventing like the Matt Honan attack. Um, and they've exactly done so. Uh, Greg Kaiser, who reported the story in Computer World, started his, his nice report sort of summing things up. I'll just, I'll just read the first few lines. He said, Apple this week followed the lead of rivals like Facebook, Google, and Microsoft. I don't know that they're such rivals, but still, Facebook, Google, and Microsoft, offering two-step authentication to help customers secure their Apple IDs against hacking. The new feature is designed to block unauthorized changes to iCloud or iTunes accounts and keep hackers who steal Apple IDs from purchasing digital content or hardware using the credit card stored in customers' iTunes and Apple Store accounts. iTunes users in particular have complained for years about security so lax that hackers have easily hijacked their accounts to run up big bills. Security experts this week commended Apple, even though the company was slow in pulling the trigger. So they did a couple good things. I mean, sort of like extra good. For example... They're not using SMS, that is simple texting on phones, because as we discussed with, with Brian Krebs' swatting adventure or misadventure last week, cell phone is, is prone to spoofing. And SMS messages can be spoofed and have been spoofed. And so it's better if you have an infrastructure you can use not to fall back on cell phones. Most Actually, companies... they do use SMS if you don't have Find My iPhone. They can use both. Oh, if you, if you don't have Find My Phone. Okay. They, they used SMS with me. I had both, and they used SMS. Oh, okay. Um, so they, they do allow you to use the, their existing infrastructure, Find My Phone, um, which doesn't use SMS. And so, for example, the, it, it allows you, if you didn't have a cellular equipped device like any of the iPads that didn't have cell built in, then you're still able to use this as an authentication loop. And then they have removed in, in sort of in response to the Matt Honan horrific adventure that we talked about at length. Um, they've removed from Apple support, as I understand it, the ability from, from Apple support to reset passwords no, nothing you can do in terms of social engineering any longer can can convince Apple to reset your password. The way they've they've made that practical is they also give you a long fourteen character backup emergency recovery key, which you're able to use if for whatever reason you can't use the iOS device, which is assigned to receive the passcodes, uh, oh, it's been lost or stolen or whatever, which I really think, you know, we've seen a couple people do this. Um, 
um, I know that Google Authenticator does the same sort of thing where you get this really big, inconvenient, you would never want to use it on a regular basis, long key. But the point is that's your emergency recovery key. You print it out and stick it in a drawer somewhere um, so that you have that as your your ultimate fallback. And then you normally use, you know, a convenient, uh, uh, um, you know, re- real-time feedback loop of some sort in the, in the regular case. So congratulations to Apple for, for strengthening this. That's a good thing. Yeah, and I turned it on right away. Although, you, in theory, that new, that old uh, hack doesn't work, so you don't have to worry about that but who knows oh yeah they, they close that immediately yeah. but yeah i agree i think that you know the, the i think apple users have been low-hanging fruit in the past and so this is this is it makes sense that apple is doing this and i, I think it's great too because facebook has great penetration apple has great penetration certainly google does you know we're seeing the large movers educating the public about increasing their security and this is just all good yeah you know in a weird and unfortunately maybe related uh to us event uh the day after we talked about uh the canadian based td.com i guess they're related to td ameritrade leo yeah, it's toronto dominion bank it's now i think it's considered an american bank i don't despite okay. the word toronto in the name <laughs> yeah so that was easywebsoc.td.com they are even now off the net what Apparently, really y- yes even now i i tried before the podcast <laughs> easywebsoc.td.com if you try to go there Good. they so they it says service interruption we are currently experiencing systems issues due to an external interruption oh that sounds like a ddos that's what it has been apparently wow support teams are working to restore services as quickly as possible this is a service interruption issue which we are monitoring closely we'll, we'll remember that last week i talked about them because somebody tweeted that this was their bank and they went to ssllabs.com and they got an F. And so we went into some detail into the reasons for their F grade, um, which were that they're still supporting SSL2. They're supporting 40 and 56-bit symmetric key ciphers among the, the cipher protocols that their server is willing to accept from a client, which are regarded as too weak to be secure these days. And and they haven't reordered the their server's preference such that they're using the cipher-based chaining with the weak SSL and the early version of SSL and TLS, which is that makes them subject makes them subject to the beast attack. So I'm wondering if some people who listened to the podcast thought, well, we should punish them for their lack of security by holding them off the net. And if that's true, well, it's been effective because it's been a week now that uh, easywebsoc.td.com has been unavailable uh, as it once was. They do have a link at the top of that page that takes you to 
another site, which is always been there. So maybe this is not their main entry portal or I don't know what. Um, I know that it certainly used to be online and, and is not. So You know that there's a massive DDoS going on right now, kind of a global DDoS. I'm sure you'll talk about that. Yeah. It's not related, I presume. I don't know. I, I assume it's not. Yeah. Um, so um, we've spoken, we, we spoke a couple times in recent years about the, the fundamental, well, actually we've spoken many times about the fundamental tension that exists between our feeling of our own rights to privacy, the U.S. constitutionally guaranteed rights of privacy, and the really understandable need that law enforcement, legitimate law enforcement has to, to, to pursue through evidentiary means, you know, criminals. And, and this creates tension. Um, we spoke a couple years ago in 2011. Valerie Caproni, I remember, was at the time IBM's general counsel. And this, it was her speech to um, the, the American Bar Association, the ABA, that worried me about, you know, the future of even being able to encrypt with a VPN because those, encry those, those encryptions are something that, that work against the law enforcement ability to, to, you know, monitor everything that they want to, which is what they want. Um, Slate just carried a, a very good article, Ryan Gallagher uh, reporting for Slate, about the new IBM general counsel, Andrew Wiseman's statements in front of the same body, the American Bar Association, um, in an article titled, FBI pursuing real-time Gmail spying powers as their top priority for 2013. And, and so I just want to share this. It's not very long because it, it perfectly characterizes where we are. Um, uh, Ryan wrote, despite the pervasiveness of law enforcement surveillance of digital communication, the FBI still has a difficult time monitoring Gmail, Google Voice, and Dropbox in real time. But that may change soon because the Bureau says it has made gaining more powers to wiretap all forms of Internet conversation and cloud storage a top priority this year. Top priority was their words. Last week... During a talk for the American Bar Association in Washington, D.C., FBI General Counsel Andrew Weissman discussed some of the pressing surveillance and national security issues facing the Bureau. He gave a few updates on the FBI's efforts to address what it calls the going dark problem, how the rise in popularity of email and social networks has stifled its ability to monitor communications as they are being transmitted. It's no secret that the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, the, that, I'm sorry, that, um, that under 
the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, the feds can easily obtain archive copies of emails. When it comes to spying on emails or Gchat in real time, however, it's a different story. That's because a 1994 surveillance law called, and we've talked about CALEA in the past, that's the Communications Assistance and Law Enforcement Act, C-A-L-E-A, only allows the government to force Internet providers and phone companies to install surveillance equipment within their networks. But it doesn't cover email, cloud services, or online chat providers like Skype. Weissman said that the FBI wants the power to mandate real-time surveillance of everything from Dropbox and online games, and it, so he says, parens, the chat feature in Scrabble, to Gmail and Google Voice. Yeah, crooks plan a lot of their heists on Word <laughs> with Friends. I know that. That's where we go. That's our secret spot. We meet there. Uh, See, that's a good idea if you're a crook. I was thinking the same thing. You know, it's like, hey, we'll use Scrabble chat. I would in like order to, to play some Wade with friends with you, if you know what I mean. <laughs> he says those communications are being used for criminal conversations, said Weissman. So is everything. I know. Stop it. I, I, Leo, I know. I just wanted I, Did you see this? I, Here's I wanna... one. Look at this. this is from Reuters. U.S. plans to let spy agencies scour American finances. The Obama administration is drawing up plans to give all U.S. spy agencies full access to those databases, those central databases that have all of our financial records in them. Apparently, though, the FBI's had this all along. So I don't know if your email or your Word with Friends chat is more uh, revealing than your financial records. Well, probably all of the above, Leo. Yeah, they have it all. Just forget yeah. it. It's it's too late. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we should fight, anyway. I guess, but I, it's hopeless. I've given um, up. Well, it, it, I think this sets a useful context for the conversations that we have on the podcast for, you know, the trade-off in, in going the extra measure to encrypt your cloud storage on the client side as opposed to trusting your cloud provider to do it is a perfect example. And, you know, again... Not all information is the same. Um, many people want to store stuff in the cloud. They want the convenience of that. And it's just random stuff that they don't, you know, they don't care if the FBI rifles through it. Fine. At the same time, for just the sake of privacy, for example, you know, I'm I'm backing up GRC's corporate books to Amazon um, nightly using Jungle Disk, and it's working beautifully. And I have a, you know, an encryption key that I had my own passwords page make for me. So <laughs> got to help anybody who tries to brute force that. I know how Jungle Disk works. I know it's, it's doing, you know, TNO style encryption. So all we're sending up there every night is completely pseudo random noise. And... I love the convenience of it. I love the low cost of it. And, you know, yes, it's not as easy as simply having Dropbox clone everything everywhere. But, and, and, you know, there are ways to do pre-encryption 
technology with Dropbox, but it takes a little more. So I, I just, this sets the tone, I think, against which our listeners make their decisions about how much they care about this. So, you know, that's why I think it's it's worth discussing. Yeah, I just, w I wish there was something we could do about it, but I feel like there's just, it's like over. <laughs> I, I don't disagree with you, Leo. There it's has so been hard to fight. And and the fact Close. that this data has all been out there and now that's consolidated into the big databases. I just read an article I thought that was fascinating in Nature magazine. Data scientists took location data only, anonymized location data. Did you see that? Yep. Yep. And with with for with four points, that's all. They had 95% success in identifying individuals. Yes. So let's say the fifth point, they observe you at a fifth point. If they can go back and say, okay, we see him now there. Where, where was this person four points ago? They now got you. Remember the size of that new facility the NSA yeah. is building in Nevada? Yeah. I mean, that thing is unbelievably big. Yeah. And it's full. I mean, it's just for data storage. <laughs> it's all big data. It's all about, uh, you know, yeah. these machines have now gotten fast enough, data big enough, that, uh, and we have enough data points now. And, and hard and drive storage is so incredibly inexpensive. And it's insufficient now to say what everybody's been saying all along, which, well, but we anonymize the data. As we now know, algorithmically, that, that you can't anonymize data, that enough data points, you can identify it. Yeah, well, for example, that, I mean, your, your example and the Nature article is perfect. Yeah. Location, nothing but, you know, X and Y coordinates. You can't, and, no, nothing is more anonymous than X and, you know, X and Y numbers, yet they've just demonstrated four of those four. and they pretty much know who you are. Yeah, four. <laughs> Can you believe that? Uh, Even that is a measure of how uh, effective our computer algorithms are. That they can yeah. take these four points and get 95% accuracy. Probably six points and it's 100%. I'm stunned by Google. Just Google search. It, it, is, it is amazing to me what I can find. That I can, I just put a few words in for a page that I wish existed somewhere and there's a list of them. It's amazing mm. when you really think about it. It is amazing. What a world. Yeah. What a world. <laughs> what a world. So, so speaking of amazing, um, I'm really pleased that Firefox, that is to say Mozilla and Google, have a competition going on because we're the, we the users are the winners. I mean, we are, we're clearly seeing an evolution of applications off of the traditional desktop model into the cloud. And the browser is our portal, and the browser is becoming our engine. Um, I got an, a neat text from uh, Sean T6. Um, and normally I, I, like, check people's real names so that I can just say, okay, <clears throat> you know, his his Twitter handle is at S-E-A-N-T-6. Um, and so when I went to look... At, like what is his name so i could quote that fairly his his public description for his twitter account says my name is sean actually it's s h a w n and i'm an english geek yep i'm from england where the tech news is limited thank god for security now and twit network podcasts i thought well <laughs> that's a yeah. nice uh handled to be broadcasting in Twitch. So thank you, Sean. Anyway, he pointed me at some news from last night, which is 
the most recent Firefox nightly build, which they, they're continually pushing out, and people who really want to be on the bleeding edge can play with. And this was 22. 22 is Firefox version slated for this summer sometime. So, you know, they're already working on something that we'll be talking about going live. I think I'm on 19. I think that's where we are now in the normal. I'm not needing to be on the bleeding edge. <laughs> I, I want all my 88 open tabs to be stable. Um, so anyway, what they've just rolled out in the most recent nightly is a new technology for their JavaScript engine called Odin Monkey, O-D-I-N-M-O-N-K-E-Y. Um, and it's interesting to me because it's, it's an, I, I was a little distraught over the direction Chrome took with their, um, with their super fast acceleration because, as I understand it, it's like it's native code is what they call it, where they're allowing you essentially to run like Intel-coded apps in the browser, which, eh, okay, um, for, for one thing, it breaks compatibility because nobody else's browser understands that. So I'm less comfortable with what Google has done than with, with this, which the Mozilla guys have done, which I think is very clever. What they did is they looked at JavaScript. Now, JavaScript is... is designed to be easy to use. And so you can just sort of write some script and things just work pretty easily. It's also powerful enough that a real programmer can do some amazing stuff. Uh, not to toot my own horn, but we remember the animation that I wrote, you know, showing hard disk waveforms coming out and in real time and things pulsing and so forth. That was uh, grc.com slash animation.htm, I think. Um, and so, uh, so it's JavaScript is both simple to use and powerful, which is not always an easy thing to achieve. But they JavaScript, the language, achieves that at some substantial cost in performance because it's having to do all types of all kinds of of behind the scenes work. Uh, variable type conversion. It manages memory for you. You don't. There, there's no explicit like I need some memory now. You can have it back. JavaScript just does that. So there's something called garbage collection, which is memory that's been released. It needs to keep track of references to memory, so it knows if no one else is going to reference the memory, then it can it can free it. All of that is expensive in terms of runtime at the at the benefit of the programmer not having to even know about that kind of stuff. You know, traditional programmers do it themselves. The newer dynamic languages do it for the programmer at some cost. So what what the Mozilla people did with this Odin Monkey project is there's something called Asem.js. And Asem.js is a declaration that is just a line that you can add to existing JavaScript that declares that you're going you are a programmer who is willing to abide by some strict rules of coding and you're going to only use a 
proper subset of JavaScript. Sorry, I need to make sure I don't confuse that. JavaScript. And in return for you being disciplined in your coding and the language being reduced to a subset and you are making this declaration, the, 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 new, the, the, the forthcoming Mozilla and Firefox will, will give you unbelievable performance. Um, I saw the numbers and it's, it's orders of magnitude faster, for example, than where Chrome is today. Now, Chrome is moving forward. I mean, it's already incredibly fast. And that's why I say I'm happy that there's this competition. And, of course, there also there's some cross-fertilization. It's not like they're, they're teams that don't share. All of this is open. And so they're able to take each other's good ideas and employ them. But, but so essentially what they've done is by, by allowing a programmer to say, I'm going to restrain, re- restrain myself and restrict myself to, to things that are not expensive to do, it allows the system to, to compile that declared code ahead of time. They use the acronym AOT for ahead of time compilation, and it screams. And the benefit of this is it's still compatible. It is. If you, if you fail a, a, the, the browser's verification pass over your code because you broke some rules, then it says, I'm sorry, cannot honor your pledge because you haven't honored your pledge. So we're just going to treat this like regular JavaScript and keep you out of trouble. So it's, you know, it's still completely cross-platform and completely cross-browser, yet if you have a browser that is aware of this and if you play by the rules, you can write applications in you know in remotely delivered pages that just outperform anything and so this is a neat move forward there are so, there are know. other solutions like this this is i think this is kind of a general thing that everybody wants to accomplish because javascript yeah. oh. itself is so irrational yeah it, it is it. yeah it, i mean it's <clears throat> it's unfortunate that it is as sloppy a language as it is right. i mean it was it's just it's not easy to to corral it, as you say. Yeah. Um, there were two things that I noted on Kickstarter in the last week. Uh, one I tweeted about, which was very cool, and I know that people who follow me picked up on it, and many of them tweeted back, oh, you know, that they were glad for it. There's actually, you know, everyone has heard about 3D printers, of course. This is, a, get this, Leo, a 3D printing pen, which, oh, I know. Jeff Jarvis ordered one. Yes. It's so cool. <laughs> it is so cool. Yeah. It's and a I, Kickstarter I, project. Yep, it's yeah. a Kickstarter. I tweeted, no wonder this Kickstarter was seeking $30,000, but now has $2,319,739. dollars gone up since you checked. It's now $2.344 million. Yep, exactly. It's three got doodler. It's called. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, anyway, I I tweeted the link. If anyone is interested and wants to see it, there's a beautiful video on at Kickstarter. You know, it is closed now. Um, that when I tweeted, there were 33 hours remaining, which was enough time for people who were following my Twitter feed to. 
to see that and jump on board if they wanted. All it's really uh, doing is just extruding quick-drying plastic. Uh, yes. And, and so you so can draw it, it must, in three it must dimensions. Heat, it, it, there, yeah, there must be a battery-operated yeah. heater, a yeah. battery-operated heater that brings it up to melting point. Yeah. But what's cool is when you see the guy, like, moving the pen around in the air... And it's leaving like a like a coil <laughs> behind really it. It's really a great idea. Oh, yeah! It is just so yeah. clever. Yeah, uh, they're so, gonna. Yeah, this guy. He's gonna be speaking at Low Web in London uh, in a couple of uh, in about a month. So very so interesting. I, and Jeff Jarvis did order one, so I expect oh, Twig will have many demonstrations of 3D art. <laughs> um, I I'll remind people who are not Twitter followers that you can just on the web. We've got a, a nice friend of, of the podcast who is chronicling all of my tweets. And I created a bit.ly shortcut, bit.sy, I'm sorry, dot, dot .ly, bit.ly, and then just my Twitter handle slash, so it's, so it's bit.ly slash sggrc. And that will bring you up, and so anyone can find the, the things I have recently tweeted one, the most recent of which I believe, at, as of the time of this podcast, is a link to this thing on Kickstarter, which I, I would encourage people to check out the video. Three doodler. Oh, so really cool. cool. Yeah. Now, not, not nearly as popular, but still, I think, interesting for people is something that Mark Thompson told me about. Our buddy, Mark Thompson, Analog X, designed this himself, for himself, to meet his own needs and then thought, you know, and, and, and he and I chatted about this. He looked all over the net. There were a couple bad implementations uh, like that just were not done correctly. Mark wanted a, an automated way of sending and receiving SMS messages for his own web-based stuff that he's doing. There wasn't anything. So, uh, he talked to a couple friends of his. He's got a, one friend, Earl, who was actually the winner of Survivor one year, um, and a talented engineer, KG, who's uh, in Santa Monica. They've put together a Kickstarter called, unfortunately, Smush Box. I don't know what. I guess it's like it's SMS supposed to be. It's supposed to be SMS Box, but it's S M U S H Box mm. Smush Box. I know. It's but all anyway. about the name, you know. Yeah, I know. Well, in that case, they're in trouble. But, um, <laughs> but uh, I'm one of the backers as of this moment. There oh, are you've fallen for the Kickstarter uh, thing, haven't you? Well, I've done Kickstarter a couple times, yeah. and I've, yeah. I, I, it's never been a problem for me. I think yeah. you've not had such good success. No, nothing but so, flopolas. So I wanted to tell people that... Um, Oh, I, actually, the pressure-sensitive pad stylus was one of my favorite things that these guys did. They did a good job with that. Yeah. But anyway, so what this is is an SMS gateway in a box. Uh, it They have a deal with uh, T-Mobile, and so it's pre-registered to T-Mobile. I think it's maybe like 25 bucks a month, Mark said, in order to have to, to like pay for this. You have unlimited SMS texting. This The hardware is beautiful. So... If um, so, I would encourage people. It's S M U S H Smush Box. So uh, this is so you don't have to have a phone. So no, the idea would be if you have any kind of a web service where, for example, you'd like to do two-factor authentication, multi-factor. Oh. 
Station. You could use this uh, tied to your web server to send yes. SMSs. I get it. Yes. And right, actually, the, the couple of these things are USB-based. <laughs> This can I send is... thousands of uh, text messages? Yes. Yes, you can. <laughs> see, so I'm... what I could do is I could have a smush box attached to our calendar, and we could ask people, hey, if you want a text message when Security Now is about to start, we'll send one out. Yes. Uh, maybe I should order yes. one of these. Yes. See, that's the thing. It's not ordering one that you're doing here. You're just giving them some money to support their development. Well, I, I'm – and so I'm saying I know these people. Oh. I mean, the – where works okay kg has been producing hardware for a long time look at the video it's just a gorgeous thing i mean you just want one when you just look at it it's just it's that's cute. how it starts steve i'm just warning you <laughs> i'm just warning you but this is different i mean this will happen yeah. so uh oh and what i wanted to mention was that it's actually a net it's it is a web server itself so you don't hook it by USB to your server. You put it on your network. And so so it's so and you're able and you, know, you have to go into all the detail. The page goes on and on and on. There's a video there. Anyone who's curious what Mark Thompson looks like, you can see Mark Thompson finally because he, he appears on the video. But anyway, I think it's a cool thing. Um, I would love my server to be able to receive SMS messages from me. It's got Cylon lights. What could be wrong? I know. And then the Cylon lights change speed. I said, okay, Mark, what does it mean when it's going slow versus when it's going fast? He says, I don't <laughs> that's know. That's Mark Thompson right there in the grocery store. Is yes. That actually, so that, he's part of this team? Yes. Oh, that's different. Yes. So he's like this software guy. He you know, he designed the first one. He oh. prototyped it. He built one for himself. Oh, that's and different. Then he said, if yeah. it came from Analog X, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Can I so, show you the crap that I've purchased? <laughs> purchased is the wrong, uh, perhaps, word to use for the. So for just so that I, I make sure people can find it if they want the 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 Kickstarter. I don't know if putting smush in is enough. It's smart SMS texting for everyone. The smush box. Yeah, I just and did so, smush and, and Kickstarter, and I found it. Okay, good. Yeah. Smush and Kickstarter. Now two hundred twenty-five bucks for your smush box. Well, and yeah, and it's a—I mean, it's a real piece of equipment. It's a network appliance. Yeah, yeah, it's no, a it web. Be expensive, server. but I'm just saying. It goes on, and yeah. and giving you them money does not guarantee you'll get one, uh, as I've learned. <clears throat> so you're 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 funding the backing of this. There's no guarantee anything will ever happen. Just, I just wanted to give people this disclaimer because even okay. Kickstarter says we're not a store. You're right. <laughs> you're supporting this development, but there's no guarantee you will actually get a project. You know, get a pro get a product. Yeah, I would be a little more worried about the twenty six thousand four hundred fifty seven backers of the of the three D doodler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's it's very likely that that anyone who wants a smush box is going to have one. I'm ordering um, one right now. I don't even know why. Maybe I'll just have it in my house. It's just it's cool, Leo. Look at it. Oh my God, it's a beautiful piece of that's hardware. What, that's, Mark what, that's what worries me. Yeah. No, it's real. <laughs> okay, it is Mark Thompson, Analog X. He's, yes, he's the real deal. Yeah, it's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. And and as I was going to say, I would love I already receive text messages now when someone buys a copy of Spin, right? My phone goes yabba dabba do as, you know, famously. Yeah. It's funny when we're at a restaurant too and the phone suddenly does that people go, "Okay, this guy is really <laughs> yabba dabba do." Do you get chills Anyways, when I, I do that? Do you, so I I would like to be able to send messages back, you know, have oh. some like Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea how I'll use this. 
And this uh, this goes bi-directionally. Well, just exactly like you said, Leo, you could arrange, you could allow people to subscribe to text messaging at that would be notifications cool. five yeah. minutes before the show starts. Yeah. And this or needs a phone or, line. What does it need? What does it need? No, no, just no. T-Mobile SIM. Yeah, it, it, it no, it's built in. It's ready to go. It's got, it comes pre-registered on with T-Mobile account. Oh. So you you tell them you know you you set up an account with them for twenty five bucks a month, and you get unlimited texting in and out, bi-directional, and then just click it onto your network. Well, there's still time. If you want to get a smush box, I just I just 20, bought the uh, the early 20. smush kit. Does that mean I have to assemble this? Should have read that more closely. <laughs> Some assembly required. I'm not going to have to solder this sucker, am I? No. Like your PDP-8? When they say kit, I hope they mean, let's see. You've selected uh, Kickstarter's early first, but you'll full smush kit, which includes activated smush box, installation and management software, cables, unlimited texting with unlimited keywords. We'll also throw in one of our embroidered smush hats. That's what put me over the top. Uh, That's all you need. I want the hat. Maybe you can get a mini hat for your little Leo in front of you. No, because it's analog X, I, I believe. I believe. I did the, the uh, $225. That's, that's the one I just did. Yeah, there's still oh, time okay. to get in on that if, yeah, you, if you hurry. 10 of 40 or left. Yeah. 10 of 40 or left. That's, that's two people have done it since you started talking about it. The smush kit early. Yeah, the early smush kit, which they say will be available in June. I believe it. I mean, there's there, there's the hardware. If you scroll down, keep scrolling down, Leo. They've got pictures of it all. I mean, oh, it's oh real. yeah, yeah. Now uh, it used to be on Kickstarter, you could do 3D renderings, and Kickstarter had to k- kind of put the kibosh on that. Said, no, you actually have to have a prototype, working prototype. You can't just do a 3D renderings. So what I could do is uh, have people sign up, and then I would send you a text. Can it, is it really? I mean, if it were ten thousand texts, would it would get mad at me? No. It says unlimited texting with unlimited keywords. Yeah. What could go what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> uh, well, and imagine until it's outlawed by the federal government. They 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 they, they you, you do a page on your site where someone creates like you know, signs up, yeah. and then they've got check boxes right. for all what of do you your want? podcasts. Right, which and, and we'll like, send out what, a smush whenever and, and, it's your turn. Well, no, it's you have a checkbox for when the live recording begins yeah. and also for when the when the podcast is available. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. All right. Radford, make it so. See, I got an engineer guy now. And now you've <clears throat> you've empowered him with the technology to for it to happen. So you you know, you've always been able to do this through the 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 phone companies, but it's normally quite expensive. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm yeah. sending my I I'm having my server send me email to my Verizon, you know, my my synchronized Verizon email address, and then that that it turns into a a text message to my phone. It's like, yeah, okay, you know, it works. But this is this is the way to do it, and this is bidirectional. I can't yeah. send it back, and and this this works both. We'll ways. have we'll have several levels of SMS notification. We'll have one when Leo enters the building. <laughs> we'll have one when Leo's actually sat down at the microphone. We'll have one when the pre-show begins, and we'll have one when the actual show begins, and then we'll have one when the, po- the show is out as a podcast. Perfect. I like it. And we'll, and, and you, then you can do a survey of how quickly the, the checkboxes are turned on and then how quickly the checkboxes <laughs> are turned off. I don't know what happened. We had 20,000 subscribers <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> no, I think this actually could be quite cool. I hope they don't like, you know, it could be used for spam. 
But I guess that's up to T-Mobile, the police, right? They gonna they would disconnect yeah, they, you if you started they, spamming. They, they would look at what you yeah, were doing, yeah. and if they were getting complaints yeah. from people, yeah. then they'd say, oh, okay, this yeah, seems to be a problem. This isn't okay. Because I'm starting to get a lot of text spam now. We're In fact, that's a security on. note. I just uh, the, the I think the uh, cert was warning people. There's 60% of all cell phone users now get text spam. Most commonly, it contains a link Ooh. that if you click the link, of course, you go to a page that usually has malware on it. Um, but see, sometimes it could be worse. Sometimes it could, if you, resp- you know, I get one now every day saying, we'll lend you money. Great, thank you. Just what I want. <laughs> and uh, and it says, text stop to end message. And And I know that the temptation is to text them back stop. But you know, one of the one of the scams could be it's a thirty five dollar text message. Yeah. Ooh. Right. Yes. You have to be very careful yes. because there yes. are yes. Uh, offshore companies that will, if you send a text message, charge you. And so that's one of the things. So the cert uh, was saying, whatever, you, just delete it as quickly as possible. Do not <laughs> click the link and do not respond. Good. I'm glad everybody yeah. heard that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it's illegal to do this. And, you know, JBR is saying, well, the carriers require that SMS uh, senders actually honor the stop request. But these guys are, are pirates. They're fly by night. I don't think that they're, you know, yeah, oh, yeah, we're going to honor the stop request. And as soon as they get blocked, <laughs> they'll just move just identities. Move exactly. Yeah. The guy keeps calling me Michelle. <laughs> I don't that's know why. Your tip, that's your tip off. That's right. I'm not Michelle. I want to text maybe him back. Hey, it's Leo. Would you mind uh, fixing Maybe it's supposed to, to pique your curiosity. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. Why? why I wonder th- what, what is the backstory here. Yeah. Who is this guy? <laughs> so um, Ron Thomas tweeted me the news that I wanted to share that Mark Rasanovich's uh, two novels, Zero Day and Trojan Horse, are now available on Audible. So for people who two have not Two great yet, books. Can't wait. Got add, I just got Antares Dawn, so now you're using oh, up all yay. of my auto, all my Audible credits. Yay, yay, yay! yay. I'm so glad you're going to try Antares, Leo. Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. It will not disappoint you. Yeah, awesome. It, uh, that's the next thing I'm going to reread. I just I've been itching to do that, but um, and also we seem to now have a uh, the bad programmer joke of the week. It's like I, okay, I you know they're short. I can I can do that. Remember we had the. The the parody based joke last week, so now we've got uh, two bites walk into a bar. The bartender says, "Can I get you anything?" One of them says, "Yes, make us a double." Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a typecasting joke. Exactly. <laughs> Cast me a double, bartender. You don't you don't want to be typecast, but sometimes if you're a bite, you need to be. You typecast. need to be casted. That's right, because you're just not long. <laughs> okay. Oh Lord. And totally random. I know about this. I know this is random, but I I tweeted this when I was still trying to get my breathing under control. Um, Saturday, I saw Olympus has fallen. What's that? It is pure escapism, over the top action. Is a movie? Uh, the White. Yes, it came out Friday. The White House is. Under siege by foreign bad guys. Wow! It was that, it that was might wonderful. actually be true. It was wonderful. Wow! Uh, Olympus has so, fallen. I okay, great. It's Morgan yeah, Freeman. Mean, they're saying. Yep, yeah. and other people who don't really matter. Um, 
but you know they're in masks and and you know running around. Doesn't I mean it's pure. I'm not saying it's a great movie. Lord knows it'll never be. You know, winning any awards. What I tweeted was of LSV. It has tons of L and V and doesn't need any S. I said, <laughs> wow. I prefer my movies all S, no L and V, but that's just me. Well, it's funny because there's so, – oh, I'm, I'm watching, among other things, on I, – I love uh, Justified. And at the end of every commercial break, up comes their warning. Really? And it's, you know, LSV. And it's, you know, which, of course, is language, sex, and violence. Right. And I, I jokingly say to Jenny, I said, it has everything. <laughs> this is what, what I'm looking for. You, what more could you want? But it's a network television show. How much LSV can it really have? Oh, Justified? You don't know about Justified? Well, what network is it on? Uh, Fox. Oh yeah, see maybe maybe they can do more on Fox. It, and it it was it was made for T- Timothy Oliphant, who we all got to know in Deadwood, on HBO's Deadwood series. Oh, it's based on Elmore uh, Leonard novels. It's really well, see, good. I'm a big. Uh, oh, it's FX, not Fox. Oh, sorry, right, FX, FX right, right, right. Um, oh no, it's oh, it's. I love really, Elmore Leonard. He's very gritty. It, Is it it's gritty? Very yes, yes. And got lots of LSV. Really. Oh yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, I'm huh. everybody who's into it is really hmm. into it. Hmm. Yeah, so Gosh. maybe get the first, you know, find the first season and oh, check yeah. it out. I'm sure I can watch you, it on. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Hulu Plus or Netflix or somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a modern day lawman. Yep, and he's just he's he's uber cool. He is just super cool. Is this the one uh, in Vegas? Is he in Vegas? No, no, that's a different one. Yeah. He's in, he's in Miami. Uh, no, the very first episode, oh. we have an opening scene with him in Miami that sort of sets us up. I see. Um, uh, and he's in and, Kentucky you know, now. Yes, <clears throat> and the the uh, you know it's he generally gets himself in trouble, but he says, "Well, it's justified." Oh, I like it. Oh, it's good. Oh, you, I'm you, a yeah. huge Elmore Leonard fan. Have you ever read any of his novels? No, you would like Elmore Leonard if you like this. He wrote Get Shorty and uh, a number of movies, uh, uh, novels that were made into movies. But uh, yeah, you get into Elmore Leonard, you will love. It's gritty crime stuff. Oh, that does sound. Good I think to you'll you. like. You, you know, yeah. pick one up. I'm sure it's on Kindle, and I'm. I'll make you a deal. I'll watch Justified. <laughs> uh, you'll you'll be happy. It's. I, I think you'll like it a lot. It's and we, and I think we're in season three. So you've got that's right. three really good seasons. <clears throat> um, I mean, lots of content. Yeah. It's it's. Um, so I had this email from Dario uh, Matanicki. Um, he clearly had fun writing this. He he. Uh, this is actually dated Wednesday, March twenty seventh. So wait, is that today? Oh yeah. Uh, it was titled "My Spinrite Magic Moment," and he said, "Hi, Steve. I've been sitting on my copy of Spinrite for some time now." waiting for the moment where I can jump up and save the day. And today was that day. I arrived at my office this morning to a scene where a few IT chaps were gathered around a laptop with various versions of rescue disk software, eventually proclaiming the laptop deceased. It's pointless. Even the BIOS is not seeing the drive, one in the group proclaimed. This one is dead. Sorry, bud. Others chirped in as they comforted the laptop's owner. I turned to them and asked, what did you try? We tried everything. It's dead. And there it was. 
my spin right moment, was standing right in front of me. Oh, no. Everything, I said, did you run spin right? (laughs) The room was suddenly quiet. And I was in shock that none of these self-proclaimed IT boffins (laughs) had a clue what I was talking about. Step aside. Let me show you the magic of real craft. (laughs) Nothing is declared dead until Spinrite spins it, I professed. Spinrite CD in, power up Spinrite splash screen on, start recovery option. Detecting mass mass storage drives message pops up on the screen and stayed there for a while. You see? It's dead, someone in the crowd shouted. I took a deep breath and gathered my thoughts and asked myself, what would Master Steve do? Never give up. That is what Master Steve would do. So I pulled the drive out of the laptop. We tried that already, too, they proclaimed. But I ran spin right on it. Outside of the troubled laptop, put the drive back in, powered it up, and voila. Drive was recognized, OS booted, and the crowd rejoiced. How did you do this? What is this spin right? Questions flew from all sides. I handed a link to grc.com and said, here, get your copy of spin right now so you can save yourself when the time comes or be a hero to someone else in need. Now go and make a few yabba dabba doos for it's the best money you will ever spend. So Master Steve, thank you for giving me I'm sorry. Thank you for giving the world spin right. May the force be with you. Dario Mataniki, Cape Town, South America. Wow. South Africa, and, are, probably. And, I'm sorry, South yes. Africa. I was just overwhelmed. I was overcome. <laughs> Dario, thank you so much. That's a great story. The fun piece, yes. So I was just looking at Elmore Leonard's novels, trying to figure out which one I should recommend. And I realized, you know, so many of his <laughs> novels... <laughs> They're all good. They've been look at the, he, he wrote. See if you recognize any of the movies that he that came from this. Ombre, nineteen sixty one, of course. Mister Majestic. Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote. Uh, let's see. Bandits, which was made into a movie with uh, Freaky Deaky, Kill Shot, Get Shorty, was made into a movie. He's uh, this the Cuba Libre, Be Cool, great stuff. Mister Paradise. If you like just uh, justified, I bet you'd you'd like his uh, his stuff. Cool, really great novelist. Been at work since nineteen fifty three. As soon as oh, that means that he just turned sixty. No, no, wasn't born in nineteen fifty. Oh, <laughs> whoa, then he's a lot. He's older. been writing since nineteen sixty three. Uh, yeah, he's a he's an. I have interviewed him. He's a great guy. Um, very much like his characters. Bruce Willis. That's right. He was in Bandits. We're going to get to a Q&A. Holy cow. we got some good ones, though. And I'm definitely going to get to it in a second. But first, got to tell you about our sponsor this week on the show, Rackspace.com. Co-creators of the OpenStack. They get a lot of credit for that. You know, there's a lot of uh, hosting companies, cloud companies, that want to put you on a proprietary cloud. You know why? Because then they lock you in. It's, you know... Hey, you're, you're our customer forever. Too expensive and complicated to, to leave if you want to. Not 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 a Rackspace. In fact, they co-founded OpenStack, and they run the world's largest open cloud. That means you're not locked into a single provider. You can move your apps, your code, your websites between multiple OpenStack-based clouds, public or private, 
on-premise or hosted. In fact, if you want to start hosting a, your cloud right now, go to rackspace.com slash open. Download the open cloud. And I got to tell you, if you want to find hosting for your open cloud solution, Rackspace is the place. World-renowned fanatical support. People who really care about you. Build what you want, where you want, how you want it. Move it anywhere you want it to be. Freedom, baby. Freedom. Rackspace.com slash open. I love this company. I love these guys. And I give them my highest recommendation. They're the real deal, Leo. They've been around for a long time. and um, You know, their offices yeah. are in an old mall. In uh, is it where are they in Houston? They're in Texas somewhere. It's a, they took an over a mall, you know, like one of those indoor shopping centers. <laughs> cool, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. I've seen uh, Scoble's uh, tour of uh, of their mall. I think they're in San Antonio. That's where they are. And so, is that their physical? Um, no, they have plant? data centers all over. They have a data. Okay. They have data centers right. in Sydney and Hong Kong and London. Uh, Grapevine, Texas, Richardson, Texas, Chicago, all over, you know, everywhere. Slough in the UK. You know, here's a trivia question. <laughs> okay, here it comes. Folks. Why is Slough in the UK well known? That's where the original office took place. It was the Scranton ah. for the office with Ricky Gervais. All right, I have got questions in front of me. I bet you would like to uh, to answer some questions. Would you? I, and that's why we're here this week, Leo. That's why we're here. Yes. The listener-driven potpourri, as Steve is wont to call it. Question numero uno from Steve, the evil Scotsman. <laughs> that's what he calls himself. All right. Okay. That's, he's great. He wonders yeah. what's up or down with his shields. I won't do the whole thing as a Scotsman. No, please. No, I promise. Please. Yeah. He says, <laughs> although it is tempting, Steve. I was recently using your great Shields Up test. Previously, every test came back as fully stealthed. But recently, it's come back as stealthed apart from ports 135 through 139, which were shown as not stealthed, but closed. At first, I thought it was a problem on my end, so I went to a, my uh, ISP's forums, <coughs> and I asked if some users could do the same test, which they did. Now, all of their scans now come back as closed on their ports and stealthed on all others, when previously they were fully stealthed. I have a feeling I know what's going on. So... Then we got a hold of an excellent tech support person from our small internet service provider, and they said, yes, indeed, we are blocking ports 135 through 139, but we've been doing it for years, and as far as they're concerned, nothing else has changed, and that's how the Shields Up test results should have always looked. But a lot of us from that forum runs the Shield Up test regularly, and the result, apart from these recent tests, have always been fully stealth. So we're wondering, did something change in Shields Up? Has it been tweaked, upgraded within the last few weeks or month? Because that's when the majority of people agree they first saw a fully stealth past test was a month ago. If the test has not been changed, then our ISP will look more deeply into it. But they're going to the source. Mr. Steve Gibson, what's the story, Morning Glory? I uh, I did change. You blew it. Up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. No. These ports are the Not blew it, but these ports, you did it. These ports are the original ports you started Shields Up for way back when. Yes, those are the Windows printer and file sharing service ports. Um, right now, it's actually moved to port 445 is what Windows uses now. Huh. But they used to use a combination of 135 and then 137, 138, and 139. Never 136, but it just I guess it's easier to block that range. Right. So they just 
throw that one in for good measure. What happened Those are the was, old, we called them net bios ports. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah, precisely. Um, a couple weeks ago, somebody in our, the GRC news group reconfigured their router. They're like, you know, Linux, Unix person, reconfigured their router to respond to TCP SYN packets, that is connection opening packets, not by dropping the packet, but by sending back an ICMP destination unreachable. And that's, you know, ICMP we've discussed when back when we were talking about the underlying plumbing of the internet technology years ago. That's a, a very simple protocol in, his, in, in the same sense that UDP and TCP are protocols. ICMP is, for example, what ping uses, where you just, when you ping a server, it's just, you're sending a little, one little packet out saying, you know, ping, and if the server is there, it's supposed to send it back to you. One of the things that can happen is that when a port is closed, it declares itself closed. Now, a normal TCP closed port will send back a reset, essentially rejecting your attempt to open it, to, to, to connect to it. But it's also possible that it would send back an ICMP. Uh, there is a message, port not available. This came up because I was doing that for the UPnP exposure test that I added a couple months ago. Remember when we had the revelation that there was all these U, uh, universal plug-and-play ports exposed. So I quickly, like the day after the podcast, I added a new service to Shields Up to allow people to check. And we were north of 3,000 last time I looked. Maybe we're at like 3,200 Have people have actually found themselves exposed. So that's good. But one of the people in the news groups reconfigured their firewall to send back ICMP port closed in response to TCP. That's not the normal response, but it's, it can be done. And I wasn't looking for ICMP ports. Uh, that is ICMP packets coming back. So there was some discussion in the news group, well, shouldn't you really? And I, I was at the time, I was right in the middle of, of working on the server. And I said, well, how hard could that be? So I spent couple hours and it turns out the architecture that I had which I mentioned for the universal plug and play stuff that was so easy to add because I really got a very good architecture that I built when I rewrote shields up the second time so it's like oh I know how to do this so I added some code to show when anything comes back um I was already doing an omnibus collection of anything. That's where this true stealth label you get. If you're true stealth, it's because during all of the outbound probes, nothing ever came back. Um, but I didn't, I wasn't showing what was coming back, just whether anything was or not. Now I'm showing which ports we hear from. Now what happened, this is a side effect that Steve the Evil Scotsman was the first to bring to my attention, which is people used to be stealth, but they weren't really. But it wasn't, here's the, here's the dilemma. It's not they who are not stealth, they really are. It's their ISP that is in front of them 
from the standpoint of my shields up testing that is intercepting that port range and not dropping the traffic. In traditional firewalls, you can have a rule when the packet matches certain criteria, like it would be TCP port 135 through 139, then what? Well, then then you could, normally you would drop the packet. That is, you just drop it. But there's another verb that firewalls can use, which is reject. And so this ISP, and we have since learned other ISPs, are rejecting the packets, meaning they are sending something back saying uh, this port is closed. So they're not showing as stealth any longer on the Shields Up test, that is the end user is not, not because of them, but because of their ISP that is being noisy about its blocking of those ports. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do about it. Um, I, the last, I mean, I've got so many things <laughs> that are backlogged that I want to get to. I really don't want to do a major re-engineering of Shields Up right now. So I'm tempted just to remove this. On the other hand, it's providing some useful information what I really should do and what I'm going to look at seeing if I can do without it, you know, sending me back months is add another state of a port. Right now we have open, closed, and stealth. It would be nice to add filtered, maybe a different color. I'm sure it would be a different color. And what it would mean is that we got something back from an IP not yours which would probably mean it was the ISP sending back an ICMP, which would say, okay, this is not noise from you. This is noise from somebody between you and me, almost certainly your ISP. If I can do that without, you know, needing to move heaven and earth, um, then I'm going to do that. So that explains it hmm. for not only for the evil Scotsman, but for any of our listeners who are Shields Up users now or immediately after hearing this on the podcast, I imagine. Uh, and given the traffic on the website, I see that has already happened. Uh, just uh, for people uh, understanding, and you explain it very clearly on Shields Up, why is it important that it be stealth, not closed? It's, I don't know that it is, really. Especially um, if the ISP is closing it, right? It's something you, it's something you could have. And it's cool to have it. I mean, it's just sort of like, you know, right now the Internet is being scanned for universal plug-and-play ports right. and for Telnet ports as a consequence of the last couple podcasts that we, yep. where we've reported on these things. Um, it's a, I think it's just nicer to not appear to be present at all. That was You're the just, idea of stealthing is that, you know, some bad guy knocks... Instead of saying, there's nobody home, which says, in fact, there's somebody here that we're just not letting you in, you just don't respond. Yes. But if it's so an for- ISP doing it, it's still on the, on your IP address, although I presume the ISP does it for all IP address in their block, right? Whether there's a yes, machine they- on the other end or not. Yes, and that, I'm glad you raised that point, because that doesn't say anything about right. you. It's really talking about them meaning their their entire customer base. Now, whether the hacker is smart enough to know the difference, I don't know. Well, now, the the one argument has been that if this is blocking is occurring at the ISP's border, maybe users within an ISP can see each other's ports. 
And so if someone scanned their own IP neighborhood, then they would be scanning inside of that perimeter, which is protected by the ISP. So if somebody had ports 135 through 139 open, Shields Up previously wouldn't have been giving them any reason to worry. Now at least they would know, oh, wait a minute, somebody else is blocking, so maybe I'm not safe behind that block. Mm -hmm. So it's useful information. Um, I didn't want people to, to... be freaked out and confused, and uh, starting with Steve, the evil Scotsman, <laughs> who will probably now be changing his email address. <laughs> Christopher, who is not evil in the least, Christopher A. No. Hunt, no, said, I got this email from my credit union. Uh, actually, my bank. Well, credit union. After having listened to the episode involving SSL Labs, I submitted my bank's URL, received a C or a B rating. <clears throat> I forget now, but it had major frightening failures. My bank now has an A rating with 90% or greater subdivision. Thanks for your service to the community. It's most appreciated. Here's the uh, email he got from the credit union. Dear Mr. Hunt, thank you for your email regarding our rating at SSL Labs. We have analyzed the result, and as a result, we've made changes on our website to mitigate the possible beast attack vulnerability to bring our website up to an A rating. Wow! I know. That's why I like credit unions. You know, they're small and responsive. Yes. The only item left open is the currently known and problematic RC4. At this time, there's no known attack that can take advantage of this vulnerability within RC4. And until all major browser vendors, Apple being the only major vendor left, implement the fix, RC4 will continue to be used. Again, thank you for bringing this. This is somebody smart. Yes. Lee Anderson, Network Administration, uh, TIC Federal Credit Union, Columbus, Georgia. That is good news. Wow. Yep. If you get email like that back from your good. financial provider, yes, you're, you're, you feel, found a good one. Feel good. That, yeah. You know, everybody, I was, I was uh, unhappy with my bank, and I asked on Twitter, what, what do you recommend? Universally, people who have credit unions are much, much happier with their banks. They're nonprofit. Uh, they're responsive. That's a really good example. Now, sometimes they're so small, maybe they don't have good security. Um, this one does anyway. Yeah. Eric Cook, Millwood, New York, wonders about the scheme he cooked up for encrypting his tax information. I love these homemade encryption schemes. Let's see. What's what's the latest? Love the show. Long-time listener, blah, blah, blah. Been using a secure email program called Protected Trust at protectedtrust.com. Basically, to send my tax information to my accountant, it asks for a password. It is encrypted. The recipient has to plug in the password to decrypt and see the message. So after sending the email, I, so it's a symmetric password, in other words. After sending the email, I send a separate email a few minutes later with a password unencrypted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Is this secure? <clears throat> My rationale is the first email can only be read if it's intercepted and they have the password. By the time the second email is sent, the first should have arrived. And even if it has been intercepted, they would not know what the password pertains to. I do not think people are intercepting emails and saving them. Is that even possible? If so, the volumes would be so great, the likelihood of them connecting the two emails would be slim. Am I correct in this, or, or I'm way off the mark? Thanks. Well, okay. So all of our listeners <clears throat> are This is the problem with a- symmetric key crypto, right? Back, yes. Back when you were Julius Caesar and you wanted to send a message to uh, the Persian king that was uh, encoded, you had to send two separate messengers, one with the key and one with the message, because... You need the same key to unlock that you needed to lock in. 
Yeah. Now, what I would say from from a security standpoint, the biggest vulnerability here is that all of the information required to decrypt the email containing uh, obviously his tax information that he cares enough about encrypting to do so. Well, it's got his social probably in it, you know. It's all being sent through the same channel. Yeah. So a bad guy monitoring just one channel gets everything that they need. That you know, if you wanted to summarize the problem, that's it. Now, I don't I'm there's a whole another problem which is what is protectedtrust.com? Is it is it doing client side browser based you know pre transmission encryption or is it receiving it in the clear and encrypting it so that you someone else can't get it unless it, I mean just, the whole thing sounds kind of hokey but <laughs> here's the, the the smallest easiest cuz we you know we want to provide something practical for Eric and anybody else who wants to do something like this I would say arrange a different channel you know write down on a piece of paper fold it twice stick it in an envelope and e- and and paper mail it the, the the password that you've chosen or you know anybody legitimate who's in the tax accounting business is going to have a fax machine write it out in big letters and fax it <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. it's a different you know, channel use a different channel exactly somebody would have had to commandeer both to have a chance right although and this really is the wanted- problem that public key crypto solves absolutely does so, you know, if if the tax accountant had a private key, then they could provide to anyone wishing to submit secure email tax information to them their public key, in which case Eric would encrypt with a public key, no force on earth that we're aware of, uh, even the NSA, as far as we know, can do anything about that because the that that public key you know, the way this would work is Eric would have some sort of an app that does this that generates a pseudo, a large pseudo random symmetric key that gets encrypted with the the with the public key of the the recipient. And then all of that sent off to the recipient. And then because they they're the only people with the matching private key, they alone are able to decrypt that encrypted symmetric key to get the plain text, the decrypted symmetric key, which they then use to for their bulk decryption to decrypt Eric's taxes information. Yeah. So, you know, all of this is like, you know, all open source, all in the public domain, open. Um, PGP uh, is a great SS- way to do this. PGP, yes, exactly. That was what so it was designed the- to do. There are secure ways to do it. The only problem is, you know, he's saying, you know, I counted to 10, before I emailed my password, it's like okay, you know, th- that doesn't work. <laughs> Even counting to a hundred, you know, because the point is, it's the same channel. Use a different channel. I realize it's too late th- for this tax year. Apparently, it's probably Eric, okay too. I mean, come on, you know, unless somebody's I know. actively pursuing the fellow. I know, I know. Uh, but the public key just solves it. It's so straightforward. Uh, you instead of having a single symmetric key. That both ends have to know, and so somehow this key yep. must be exchanged securely. You have two keys: one that you can tell everybody. That's what they use to encrypt. One you keep to yourself, the private key, that can only can be used to decrypt. Yeah, it is so it's so brilliant. cool. 
It's brilliant. Yeah. It's a brilliant conception. And if Julius Caesar had had that, he'd be alive today. <laughs> no. And still, you know, and Rome would be a different place. Rome would be a different place. Trey de... Oh, boy. Trey de Muscus. Trey de Muscus in Houston. Raised in... Oh, I'm sorry, Trey, for butchering your uh, your name. Dismukes. That can't be right. Steve, regarding the trouble with having ISP's blanket blocking all UPnP UDP port 1900 traffic. Right, Michelle? Right. And how it might cause some potential issues with legitimate traffic. We've come a long way in the last 10 years of network security technology. We can block much more granularly than just by a packet's destination and port number. Oh, oh. <laughs> on, on the fly pattern matching on the contents of packets using UDP 1900 can allow ISPs to block UPnP without affecting legitimate responses. He's talking about deep packet inspection. Leo, you can make even something as dry <laughs> as on-the-fly packet, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> packet matching by uh, port destination yeah. really come alive. Deep packet inspection, baby. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so Trey is exactly right, and I wanted to give him his day um, and to mention that he's completely right. I was, uh, you know, we were... I wasn't assuming that on the on the behalf of ISPs, routers are are often incapable. You know, simple routers are they excel at doing what they do very fast in order to keep up with the so-called line rate. You know, the rate at which the packets are flying in and out over the wires. So some of them are only able to do a does you know is this bit pattern what I'm looking for, and if so. But on the other hand. Bit patterns exist inside packets, and so he is correct that there is a that is the the you could look into the packet at more of the contents of the packet, or as you say, deep packet inspection, which is the uh, the the formal term. See if this is, for example, random web traffic that just happens to be using port nineteen hundred. Or, or I'm sorry, or DNS that would would be a typical client of UDP port 1900 because DNS tends to run over UDP, whereas web is over TCP. So that would disqualify TCP immediately. See if it's a DNS query. Those are well identified, and no person's browser, I'm sorry, no person's router would respond to a DNS packet on port 1900, uh, probably because it was. You know, from inside the network, it would just pass it right through. So if you had the ability to do deep, deep packet inspection, you could explicitly allow either DNS packets and block others, or better would be to see whether the packet is a UPnP probe and then drop it, in which case you would be pr protecting your users not wrecking up, you know, not messing up any other traffic that's 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 running over that port, and it, it would be workable. I don't know if an ISP is going to care to do that, um, but I bet they. I mean, tr tr Trey is right; it's absolutely possible and, and very common uh, feature in um, yes in all uh, big firewalls, big iron firewalls. Um, and it, would it be fairly easy to recognize a UPnP probe? Yeah, it's good. They have an absolutely definitive fixed format. And you know, because I wrote one, uh, the the, the new right. Shields Up That's system right. is is a, P, a UPnP probe, and I you know followed a, a, a an absolutely 
rigid template that you could easily match on and say, whoops, we're not letting that one go by. Yeah. There's no point, there's no reason for that to ever be out on the public internet. That's why a good ISP really is good. You know, yeah. find a good they're one. Worth their, they're the, worth their weight and what you pay them every month. They tend to be the big ones like, uh, you know, the big national ISPs tend not to do a lot of that stuff because, well, for one thing, think about it. If they uh, turn off port 25 to block SMTP, for instance, they're going to spend a million dollars in support calls, you know, for right. people who's, you know, because they have a, a lots of customers and some percentage of them are going to say, what the hell? So it's, yeah. you know. What are you doing? Well, it's like it's like it's like my own operations gal Sue is you. She uses a Cox cable modem. Cox blocks port twenty five. Right. So she's unable to connect to GRC's server. So we have to had to set up an alternate right. an alternate port that she's able to use that Cox doesn't block. And in fact, I've got a RAID. I've got a a, a, a email trigger on the RAID that I installed last time she had a problem, and it was very problematic getting it to be able to send email out of her computer because cox is saying uh no we think you may be a spammer we're not letting spam get out right drew mosley in north carolina offers a truly clever hack hi Stephen leo blah 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 pray i like it yes <laughs> bracket praise blah blah slash Praise. I was reinstalling my mother's Windows laptop the other day, and it came time to install a PDF reader. I immediately, immediately thought about downloading Foxit. And then I had a revelation. Why? There's already a PDF reader installed. It's known as Firefox 19. Since I was going to set her up with Firefox as her default browser anyway, and in the interest of not installing anything she wouldn't use, I decided to set up the file associations so the PDF files would launch Firefox. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Didn't show up in the suggested apps. Windows, you know, probably didn't know to include that. But I was able to browse through the file system to select Firefox as the preferred app for PDF files. And voila, one less app installed that required maintenance updates, etc. Admittedly, the PDF viewer and functionality in Firefox is new and thus likely less secure than Foxit. But since Firefox will be installed regardless, I figured... A reasonable compromise. Thanks for all you do. I thought that was very clever. Um, and at least in Windows, when you right-click on a file, and then and there's like open with is an option in the properties that comes up. And then you're able, it got, gives you some things that it knows can open the type of file by extension that you're opening. But you're also able to browse for your own. So he said, oh, let me choose my own. And then he dragged through, scrolled through a list, found Firefox, and said, yeah, open PDF files with Firefox. And and that's all you need to do. Because when you launch Firefox and give it, at the end of the command, a it, it treats that like a URL. And when it sees .pdf, it says, ah, I know how to show these now. And so it turned Firefox, multipurposed it, essentially, turning it into his system's default PDF reader, which is very very cool. Now, I'll make a comment. This gives me an opportunity just to say I'm still using Firefox's native, that is newly native, PDF reader unless I want to print. It's pretty crappy as a, you know, when it prints. Yeah. It, it shows things on the screen pretty well. Printing is challenging. Um, the nice thing is there's, when it comes up, there's like a download this icon. You can click on that and it doesn't download it again. 
it just pops up a save as dialog. So then I am able to save that PDF to my system, and then I open my normal system's uh, PDF viewer, which is extremely capable, and then I, ha I use it to print. It's also very slow to, to print. So I'm, it's like if I want to print it, I don't even try that in Firefox, though I do like it for viewing PDFs. Sort of in Drew's approach of just, you know, one fewer thing to have in the system is always good. Uh, from Bethesda, Maryland, Doug Zuckerman comments about Windows 2008 server. Hi, Steve. I was just listening to the feedback show from a couple of weeks ago where you mentioned you finally replaced your creaky old Windows 2000 machine with 2008. I just wanted to make sure to let you know if you chose 2008 and not 2008 R2, I would highly recommend upgrading to R2 ASAP. I have found 2008 R2 to be a phenomenal server platform and Stability-wise, it's a must-have over 2008, which has some weird bugginess, most of which was fixed in the Service Pack 2, but it still falls short of R2 SP1 IMO. I'm responding. <laughs> I believe if you write IMO, in my opinion, you're supposed to write IMHO, in my humble opinion. I'm responsible for a few hundred machines. Oh, that's why he's not so humble. Nearly a 1,000 databases and about 300 terabytes of data at my job, so... I've had a pretty good platform to test and develop an opinion on the matter. So it's and I not saw so this, humble. I saw this and I thought, okay, perfect opportunity for me to say, I really am happy. I you mean, I am too, of really, yeah, of course, and yes. I am really happy. Actually, I first did mm -hmm. only 08, 2008, because, you know me, I'm on the theory that, well, if it's newer, it's not better. Um, but shortly after I got the feel for that, I realized that its crypto support was still lacking. It did not offer TLS 1.1 and 1.2. And I thought, well, okay, it's a lot better than 2000, but I felt like I was already behind the curve. Now, what I have since learned and really appreciated is that server 2008 is the server version of Vista. Need I say more? <laughs> and R2, is that Windows 7? Yes. Ah, interesting. Yes, and in fact, it is Windows 7 enough that I don't run Server 2008 R2 here at home where I do my development. I'm using Windows 7 here at home, sort of prototyping it for the future day when it becomes my main workstation OS. And again, I am so impressed and happy and pleased. And so, you know, I've got IIS 7.5, the web server running on Windows 7, because it is the same as the web server running under Windows 2008 R2. So, Doug, I am with you a thousand percent. I just wanted to say to any listeners who are Windows users or people and so forth, um, that that's the one. I'm I'm really pleased. 2008 Careful, Steve, R2. You're you're get you're only a version behind now. Uh, no, I know. Oh it's, it's boy, when I, start, when I start catching up, <laughs> only one version behind. However, I won't be moving soon, so I'll start <laughs> falling. I'll start drifting back then again. So, <laughs> question seven, Mark in Colorado, colorful Colorado, says great coffee recommendation, Steve and Leo. Not a technical question, but thank you for giving the great coffee recommendation in episode three ninety one. I've been on Steve's no-starch diet for the last few months. I've shed 47 pounds. By the way, Steve, almost every day somebody comes to the studio and says, thank you, I did yeah. Steve's diet and I've lost. And it's weight loss is often in that 50-pound area. I know. It's I amazing. Hear, 
the same way. Yep. He said, this morning I weighed myself and was below 200 pounds for the first time in about a decade. Still have a ways to go, but I decided to treat myself with a coffee. That's such a great treat, isn't it? Since I started dieting, I haven't had any coffee, tea, etc., and I wanted to make this a very special treat. I remember you guys talking over your favorite coffee, so I went to grc.com and went through the transcripts, decided to give Steve's recipe a try. I went to the store, bought a mocha pot, M-O-K-A, it's an old-fashioned Italian stovetop espresso maker, stopped by the local coffee shop and picked up the dark roast espresso coffee whole bean. After getting everything set up, I ground the beans put in the water, and about seven minutes later, I had the best cup of coffee I've ever had. No need for sugar or milk or anything. Thanks for the great show and great cup of joe. For what it's worth, Leo, I did follow your advice. I gave the Trader Joe's Kona a shot. Mm, what'd you think? Bitter compared to what I'm drinking. You know, it is a little bitter, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to grind to the the grind that I have found and send up to you Steve's coffee. <laughs> okay. And, and do you still have the, the cute, cute little five-cup Zima Tronaron, whatever the hell that thing is? The, yes. That wacky little thing. Is it, it, the, is it at home or? Um, oh, I have everything at home. I have many ways of making coffee, but I'll bring okay. it in here. I'll I'm going to. I, now, I, I have to say, I have to say. Bitterness in coffee is a result not necessarily of the bean, but of how you brew it as well. Because you know that, and I'm sure I don't, I'm not telling you anything. Well, you don't and, and know, see, that's why the extraction uh, process, temperature, yep. length of time, and so forth can bring out different uh, uh, tonalities like bitterness I, and um, uh, you know acidity, things like that. And this is why I ask you about that machine. Because I have already got, I've got the exact quarter cup measuring scoop for you. I've got the sealed airtight container for you. So I've got the beans. I'm, I want to send you a, if you know, as long as you've got that coffee pot, I have so everything you, calibrated. Now, which one is it that I'm supposed to make? The stovetop espresso mocha pot style? No, no, no. It's the Zoritsu or the, Zor. The, the drip? The drip? Yes. You use the, 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 you know, the brown coffee paper, you know, stick yeah. it in there. Okay. And it does a drip in about five minutes. Yeah. And I, I was at Starbucks two weeks ago with my coffee. And with my with my regular friends there, who and they're the people who like like they're one of them is very health conscious, and he puts so much sugar in it, he might as well just you know call it syrup. Yeah. I so I got a couple of the little espresso paper cups from the barista, and I poured from my thermos into these espresso cups and said, "Here, guys, just try this," and they couldn't believe it. They said it doesn't even taste like coffee, meaning that. You know, they it's really don't good. like coffee. Right. Until, yeah, it's that good. It's yeah. just amazing. So I just want I, I want to bring you on to the team, Leo, by I'm going to send you a whole I, little care I package. Will, I will gladly. We'll see what you think. Try it out. I'm looking at this roaster, Tonks. Have you ever heard of Tonks? T-O-N-X. No. no so roaster, you're saying. That's that's that's. Well, a, that's this is what's interesting thought. about this. So I. Um, a number of people that I uh, trust have recommended this, T-O-N-X. What they do is they send you like 12 ounces every other week. It's a subscription thing. But it's it's uh, they express it after they roast it. So it's exactly like three wow. days later, which is what you're supposed to apparently do. And, um, and they do their own – I don't know. It could be just silly. You know, they pick the beans and they carefully hand roast it, blah, blah, blah. But I've heard very good things about that. I don't know. Um, so I will try your beans. I will try your beans. 
We'll see. I will provide my Where beans. do you get your beans? Starbucks. That's what's so beautiful. It's the Starbucks espresso bean. That's all it is. Universally available everywhere in the galaxy. The only thing wrong with Starbucks really is not the beans, but they overgrind them for for use in the uh, in the coffee making. That's why I've even found the proper setting on right. the machine. Grind is like, very okay, important. Here it is, baby. Give this a shot. I'm okay. All right, Steve. We'll see. <laughs> Question eight from Bismarck Public Library in Bismarck, North Dakota. Vern Mastell writes and shines some light on the Telnet apocalypse population. Steve, last week one of your final comments was, what are all of these boxes? I'll tell you, Steve, I, at the library here, have a bunch of HP printers. The standard in-service procedure is to turn off all the extra protocols, Telnet is one, and password the printer. But that's our procedure. The default for these HP printers, Telnet on, passwords not. Uh, In the past four years, I've changed all my network switches to manage HP units. These came out of the box with Telnet turned on also. The, the the network switches. Again, add a password and turn off extra protocols otherwise. I know a number of sysadmins don't do anything like this because it's inconvenient. Cisco switches out of the box. Telnet turned on. I have nearly 100 backup power supplies. I install the APC network management card in all of my APC smart UPS units. Yep. Default passwords. Telnet turned on. I use $30 IP print servers as pingable devices in my power monitoring system. Telnet, of course. Well, this guy's, Vern, you're smart. I'm glad you paid attention to this because I I doubt anybody else is doing this. I do not doubt that many, maybe all other brands of network devices also come out of the box with things like Telnet turned on. Oh, boy. So I guess when a company, a big company, has a block of public IPs, then, you know, and, and they're assigning IPs to all of their equipment. They don't bother, public to, IPs. Uh, they don't bother to, to, to nat it. They they, nor, you're right. They're, they're not natted, and exactly, and, and, they're, and they're certainly not firewalling. Yeah, put it out on the, uh, on the Internet. So, hey, we've got IP addresses to spare. Why should we put a router in? Come visit. Come visit. Come visit. <sighs> but, of course, as you say, if you're behind a router, it doesn't matter if these are open. Right. You won't be seen from the outside. Of course, if your router has Telnet turned on. <laughs> <laughs> or universal plug and play. Right. Or both. From uh, the Twitter comes this from Chivalry Bean in Portland, Oregon. SGGRC, that's Steve's Twitter handle. If I understood right, my lone computer has a better chance at making a Litecoin than a Bitcoin. Am I right? By the way, Steve... Check Mount Gox, your bit your fifty bitcoins worth over four grand now. <laughs> You're rich, my friend. Baby, free money. I like it. And we I want to make it clear because I you know, first of all, people say, Oh, twit, you guys never cover Bitcoin. Yes, we do. Steve did an entire episode that was so definitive, there's nothing more to say about Bitcoin. So go back in the in the uh, archives of Security Now and you'll find all of that. The other thing, though, I think we kind of implied, since we talk so much about Bitcoin generation, that to play in the Bitcoin space, you need to be running a Bitcoin mining operation. That's not true at all. Right? Ooh, I mean, it's a currency. Bit- oh, you have, if you accept it. Oh, 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 absolutely. Yeah. You, you don't need to mine You don't Bitcoin. need to create Bitcoins to there's use some them. Guy, so there's some guy in Canada that wants to sell his house for Bitcoin. <laughs> 
No, he's like got a bunch. That's of actually probably a very good idea, unless the market crashes, then you're screwed. Yeah, it's a little risky because the, mar- the market is volatile. But if you if believe this his, is the future, and if he'd sold his house for Bitcoin a year ago, he'd be sorry when the price know, was happy fifteen dollars. Right? Yeah. Right. And this stuff really is appreciating. But so, you know, you could have said that about gold. There's, you know, it's a little risky. Let's let's not yeah. recommend yeah, it as it, an investment. It's virtual. It's virtual. It's virtual. Um, okay, so chivalry bean. Yes. <clears throat> what what that what's happened with Bitcoin? Because clever as it is, it is based on ju- on on well understood cryptographic hashing. It is possible to incredibly accelerate that. We there are people who use graphics processing units, GPUs in computers to do hashing very fast. There were people who just build boxes of as how many slots do they have and that they can fill with GPUs to create little sort of homegrown mining machines to try to solve the hash puzzles at a competitive rate. And that's the key, the, a competitive rate. They And then there are people like Butterfly Labs that used to sell machines like that now they've got ASICs, application-specific integrated circuits, A-S-I-C-S, ASICs, where, which just takes it to another whole level. Mark Thompson was telling me that if you could get one of these Butterfly Labs devices, <laughs> you ca- they pay for themselves in four days. What? Really? Yes. They're like, they cost $25,000, but you will make... You're guaranteed 000. to make that many bitcoins because it's that fast. It, it is it, and then and the, the point is, it's until, competition. Right, until it everybody else gets one, until everybody else gets yeah. one, exactly. And then the, all that does is that ups the ante again. So but again, and we talk so much about generating bitcoins. This is that's irrelevant. That's just you know, it's you don't you no long you no more need to do that than you need to be the U.S. Mint to use dollars. Correct, correct. This is just a medium of exchange. But there is an alternative that is becoming popular called Litecoin, which is what Chivalry Bean refers to. And what's unique about it is it uses memory hard problems. Oh. It is not does not use a hash. It it deliberately uses S-Crypt, which we've spoken of. S-Crypt is the memory hard technology that I described, which re- absolutely requires memory, which ASICs don't have in abundance, which GPUs don't have in access to at the same speed. So this sort of this resets the bar. If you wanted to play with mining a currency, even though it's not the Bitcoin currency, it's the Litecoin currency. It's L I T E coin. Um, the the playing field has been leveled again. Now, Mark Thompson, and he, he and I were talking about this. He says, well, of, of course, but it's no, nothing to prevent you from, you know, doing ASICs with lots of RAM. Well, that's mm, kind of true. Not so much. I mean, a- ASICs, I mean, RAM is a specialty and, and, a, and our CPUs have it now uh, very inexpensively. So, I, so the answer is yes. Litecoin is starting over. It's more like the days when I just stumbled on 50 Bitcoin one morning. It's like, oh, look. And, no, and that has, that has um, inflated 
to four thousand dollars, as you just said, Leo. So forty five hundred. Um, it's eighty. It's eighty. eighty I, I just looked at Mount Cox. It's eighty. Oh crap! Wow. Uh, and by the way, you know that it was it was that the judgment from the U.S. Treasury Department yeah, that we shared posted it up. That that's what did it. It was like people said, "Yaha!" But it's eighty eight bucks. But it's highly speculative. I gotta, I gotta say this. This is highly. Spe- this is yeah, so you, you, worse you than want, investing in gold. I mean, this you is, don't want listeners to go put all their money into right. Bitcoin oh, and then have it crash. How could it possibly go down or sell your house for Bitcoin? This yeah. is highly speculative at this point. Yeah, um, but if you've got some free computers that are sitting around, you know, and if maybe it's a little cold, so you'd like the exhaust heat from them to help warm the house. Well, that's the other calculation you have to do is uh-huh. the cost of generating Bitcoins may, in fact, exceed the value of the coin generated. Yep. Uh, when, when, when the probability is so low that you can get one yourself, you end up spending more on the power, the electrical power required to to try hashing such a low probability to get a coin versus the value per coin that it just you know the economics don't work and what we're seeing is a a gold rush toward high speed hashing it just they keep pushing that higher and higher so only the people that are now going to be willing to invest in asic based you know multi tens of thousands of dollars uh, hashing custom hardware are going to be create are going to be the the miners who push the coin all the way the rest of the way out. Just to exp- just to ex- explain this, it's like printing money. The difference is Bitcoin has been carefully calculated so that only a certain amount can be printed. There's no inf- there won't be an inflation because it it reaches a cap in something yep. like ten years or maybe sooner with this ASIC inflation. But at that point, it's just done. And there's a certain number of bitcoins, and it's done. And if you think about it, because U.S. dollars are just purely imaginary, they're pieces of paper that are not tied to any intrinsic just, value. It's just agreement. When I go to a restaurant, I'm giving him the, or her, the, the, the server or the owner of the restaurant, ultimately, my agreement. Right. Here's, here's something we've agreed on, and other people agree, so you'll be able to go buy something else with that. But it's imaginary. The medium and so are bitcoins. A medium of exchange. But it does rely upon this agreement and this consensual hallucination as well that it has has value. So one of the cool things about bitcoins is that because it's a digital currency, you can can have – I don't know how many decimal points, but you know, zero point zero 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 one of a bitcoin. And so in some future – a single Bitcoin, which is now at $88, you say, will very likely be at $100,000. But that's okay because you can you can trade in incredible fractions of a Bitcoin, you know, to buy a candy bar. Right. You know, you're not stuck buying a $100,000 candy bar. You just can buy, you know, a 0.00000001 of a Bitcoin. And so... You know, so so the value scales nicely because it is digital. It's a digital currency. I'm reading uh, an excellent book. After our conversation of last week, I realized I really I'm so kind of glad. Read I'm up. So on this. glad. Yeah, it's called yes. the end of money. Uh, it's easy, light reading, but it's very interesting, and it, and it really does kind of under underscore. Uh, well, first of all, the history of money is very recent and very fascinating. Uh, it was the Chinese. Uh, 
uh, Genghis Khan, the Chinese emperor Genghis Khan, who was the first to issue paper currency. And when he first issued it, he said, well, <laughs> this, you know, this silk script is worth a certain number of Chinese coins, and we have them in the bank. We got them back here. You can At any time, you can deliver that, uh, that paper currency. We'll give you the coins. Because they had coinage, but it was the first paper currency. And uh, coinage is ancient. And uh, uh, it's probably just too heavy to carry around. Right, and the script so made sense. Like, right. Yep. And uh, but then, see, and this always happens. You got, you know, he said, "Hey, nobody really ever asks for the coins. We could just print more of this stuff." And they did, and they collapsed the economy. Inflationary Ooh. collapse because people realized it actually has no value. And we haven't been tied to gold since Nixon. Uh, and so, what, so in terms of what actually happened in the real world, is some some wise, you know, street vendors said, you know, I think if you're going to pay with that flaky, funny money, then I'm going to need twice as much of it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Rather than exactly. if you pay 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 with real money, because I'm not so sure that's worth anything. Thus, inflation. And it could happen at any time, anywhere, as we've learned in Cyprus. <laughs> Oh, it's fascinating. It's probably better and not Brazil, to talk about this. Brazil had a problem, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's probably better not to talk about it. The consensual hallucination could be damaged. It's fine. It's real. It's money. Uh, but that's what, I think that's what Bitcoin kind of you know, freaks people out a little bit. Freaks me out. Because it, it's just as, it's no less imaginary. But it's an extra governmental currency, which I think is fascinating. I do too. I, 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 that, that's why we discuss it here on the "What Do You Want to Know About the Internet" podcast. Well, because it's crypto. Yeah, you know. Oh, exactly. That was the original impetus. Was this is and it's cool. Right. It was so. It was done so well, and it leveraged at the time everything we already knew that we'd covered in like crypto fundamental crypto technology. This notion that that the algorithm requires you. To come up with a hashed value with some number of leading zero bits. And the, the harder, it is increasingly hard to get more of the left-hand bits zero moving to the right. It's just more difficult. You, and there's no shortcut that we know of. You have to just keep guessing about values that you apply to the existing Bitcoin, um, uh, Bitcoin block in order to find the value that'll give you the hash with all these leading zeros. And the more you require of the zeros, the harder it is to find that one unique value. It just, oh, it's just, just brilliant concept. And so simple, too, which is what makes it so elegant. But, you know, it has to be a, a mutual consensual hallucination for it to be effective. <laughs> well, if some guy is willing to uh, sell, if he can sell his house for Bitcoinage. But understand that he's doing that as a speculator. That means there's two lunatics. Right. The, the, I know. I wait a minute. Yeah, no, I guess only one really. One because has to buy. Some some guy collected all those bitcoins in right. order to purchase the house. Right. And actually, he collected many fewer of them this week than two weeks ago. Right. Somebody has to buy. Somebody has to sell. And the problem is that most of the people who are doing this right now are in fact merely speculators. They're not. Uh, in my opinion, they're not really. Well, it's you know, it's coming into people, currency. People, there are more and more. There are more and more places where you can actually exchange from Bitcoinage into the real world. Mm -hmm. 
It's a trend. It's very interesting. Steve Gibson, if you have questions for him, he's got answers. Every other week we do a QA. and uh, If you want to leave a question at his website, grc.com slash feedback. Don't email him. grc.com slash feedback. You don't accept Bitcoin uh, donations, do you? No. No. He's got plenty of Bitcoin. He doesn't need any more Bitcoin. He's rich. You can also go to grc.com to get SpinRight. That's the donation he wants. The world's finest hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. But he also has some other stuff there. Lots of free stuff like Shields Up, the uh, UPnP tester there, the probe. It's all right. That's one of the probes. It doesn't hurt. But it is good to know. He's also got a lot of free software. And for this show, 16 kilobit audio versions. That's the smallest version made. And uh, full transcripts. English language written by a human transcripts. GRC.com. Now, we at twit.tv have the... Bigger audio files, the uh, video files as well, on demand at twit.tv. We do this show every Wednesday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, 1800 UTC on twit.tv. Please join us. We love having you live. Watch the chat room, interact with the chat room. Uh, but if you can't, on as I said, on demand, it's always available after the fact. And you can, if you're from Wisconsin, you're allowed to visit the uh, studio at any time. <laughs> we had two two different independently uh, different sets of Wisconsin visitors. Amazing. What a, what a coincidence. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, somebody sent me an email. How much does it cost for tickets? It's free. And you get what you pay for, I might add. And we will make you sign a two-page waiver of all your rights when you step in the door. Just in case. Thank you, Stevie. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Leo. Security now.